0: Come as the wind and cleanse, come as the fire and burn, come as the tie and bind, convict, convert, consecrate, until we are holy, Thine. Amen. Good morning. Here we are on one of these nice spring or summer mornings here in Texas City. And we're reading today's lectionary readings, which began with our ancestors, the tribes of Jacob, being led by Moses through the wilderness on the journey from slavery in Egypt toward freedom in an yet unknown land, a land promised by God to their father Abraham. Memories of their long wilderness trek in ancient Israel's life are prominent throughout the Hebrew scriptures. There are many times, as at the end of today's psalm, Psalm 95, our ancestors seemed ashamed of their behavior amid the hardships and difficulties. The psalmist in 95 imagines God's voice speaking to the people. Harden not your hearts as your forebears did in the wilderness at Meribah and on that day at Massah when they tempted me. They put me to the test, though they had seen my works. Forty years long, I detested that generation. Sounds like they're in trouble, doesn't it? Various stories depict our ancestors as a a motley crew of refugees traveling with no visible resource whatsoever. It was a time of great danger and high anxiety. They came close to losing their trust in Moses, their leader. But above all, they could not sustain their trust in God, to whom Moses' words And their own lives bore witness. Here we are in the middle of Lent. Wilderness stories present a compelling picture of ourselves, as well as a plausible record of our ancestors' experiences with God. Perhaps Ash Wednesday raised our consciousness about the failures of our lives and the absence of a sustained spirituality in our daily tasks. By now, however, Ash Wednesday is far behind us and our repentances have probably dried up and worn thin. The business of re-examining our capability to trust God in both the bad times as well as the good has become gritty, like sand in our shoes as we walk our Lenten journey. Is God reliable, in fact? Can we trust this God to provide for our needs in times when we have no resources for living? Quite often, the deep questions of our faith and trust in God are urgently and powerfully connected to questions about material realities, the things we need for life, especially when those basic necessities fail us for one reason or another. In the case of our ancestors in the wilderness, where oases are few and wells were missing altogether, Their urgent need was for water, the stuff of life. God had provided water in the desert for them once before in an earlier chapter of Exodus. And now they needed water again. As always, they grumbled and became quarrelsome. Imagine that. Doesn't sound like us at all, does it? what was the matter with Moses and God that they could not and would not repeat the trick with the water? And in this quarrelsome fashion, the traveling refugees articulated the big question of our own so much milder Linton journeys. Is the Lord with us or not? They did not want a God who could not deliver the real life-giving goods. And neither, of course, do we, do we. God answered the depths of their anxieties, saying to Moses, Go ahead of the people. I will be in front of you on the rock of horror. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it. Yes, God was among them. God heard them. He answered their needs just as decisively as he had heard their cries from Egypt in the beginning of this Exodus story. When God provided the water of life, the faith question was also answered. The rocks of the wilderness were transformed into sources of life for them. Yes, this God was reliable. Subsequent generations saw this episode on the Exodus journey as a sign of God's endless, patient faithfulness in the face of ancient Israel's anxiety and their desperation the event was also and honestly remembered negatively, as in the previously quoted verses from Psalm 95. And like our ancestors, when we are rendered anxious and desperate by crises, fire, flood, famine, joblessness, homelessness, lack of money, terrors of war, Similarly, we test God by asking him to respond to our concrete, specific needs. And like them, we need a somewhat sturdier trust. Part of the good news about this God is that he provides what is needed without our anxious grumbling, without our desperate, angry shouting. In the infinite outpouring of his generosity, God gives all his creation what is needed for its life without any coercion on our part. Our hungers, wants, and needs, and whether they get met, are not the measure of God's reliable generosity. The New Testament stories of Jesus are all framed in such a way that this amazing, tried-and-true, reliable generosity of God is seen in all of Jesus' activities and in the way Jesus lived and died. And in today's gospel reading from John chapter 4, the conversation between Jesus and this nameless woman at the well is an artful picture of this basic claim. Only God, and for us, therefore, only Jesus, his son, provides the stuff of life. And God, who speaks to the woman of Samaria at the well, in the heat of the day, is the God who turned the wild, barren desert into livable land, For our dusty ancestors' journey, with manna from heaven to eat and water from rocks to drink. John, the gospel maker, has used the material of water in this story as a metaphor. The narrative starts with solid, old, deep well outside the city of Sychar in Samaria, well is named for long-dead Jacob, and it's been the source of water for the woman's ancestors, just as it is for Jesus and herself. Jesus swiftly moves the point of the conversation to the God who is the source of all gifts, water, and even life itself. In this conversation, the water is not simply something to drink. It becomes a sign that the gift of God is the quality of life on earth, a spring of water gushing up to eternal life.
1: Then the narrative
0: moves to focus on the woman. One might say she's had a difficult and rocky life, but the good news is that Out of the failures and inadequate resources of her life, God, through Jesus, can make something new, quenching her thirst for something better. The narrative also moves through this woman's own history to the larger historical context. Jerusalem and Samaria have failed quite miserably to overcome their mutual estrangement and to heal the wounds of their histories. It had become as inconceivable for Samaritans to worship with Jerusalem Jews as it was for Jesus to be talking to a woman in public. This just wasn't allowed in their society. John has drawn a picture of two people who, practically speaking, could not have shared a common life, divided as they were by any number of things, history, sin, gender, even geography. But the outrageous good news is, of course, that with this God among us, as a source and support and provider of life, beyond our wildest imaginings, the stories and metaphors of Scripture can become the aspects and qualities of our lives, as individuals, as communities, even as a society. In the light of that good news, Lent continues to be a time for noticing how our faith and trust plays out in our lives. It's a time to let go of our failures and trust God in Jesus to bring new life to everyone, even those of us with dried-up relationships and messed-up histories. Lent continues to be an urgent time of rethinking our relationship to the world that we live in. The deep wellspring of water, providing John with such a rich metaphor for our connection to God and to each other, is in our time a powerful icon for the destructibility of our planet and how our silent complicity and consent to such destruction Puts God's loving generosity to a test. We're now at a point in history when we've chosen a future which screams of our distrust of the alien and unfamiliar customs of people who seek refuge and a new start in life among us. We've elected an administration which seeks safety and isolation rather than embracing and welcoming refugees and providing aid to our brothers abroad. We accept only a few tens of thousands from our neighbors from the South. Isolation is used to beguile us with a simple innocuous message, putting America first. But they continually seek to divide us by sowing distrust and discontent of anything foreign. They move to restrict our benevolence and shunning our neighbors in need, both within our country and without. They seek to increase our selfishness. Is this what God is calling us to do? Our situation here at St. George's mirrors what is happening on the national level. And we've made similar choices. We can choose to distrust and remain aloof from some in our community, not up to our standards. Or we can accept and welcome those who are in need of the love of God, which we share freely. You have chosen a better path. I pray that we as a country will choose the better path as well. And not fall prey to the divisive forces which seek to isolate us and our nation. So I challenge you to thank and pray on the generosity of God. During our Lent, and to pray for our nation and the world. Amen.